this episode off with a little something different leading edge fun facts today's fun facts is about Forrest Gump did you know that Bill Murray Chevy Chase and John Travolta were all up at one point for the title role that eventually went to Tom Hanks how could we really appreciate the movie Forrest Gump without Tom Hanks I don't know but anyways welcome to this episode of the leading edge where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate now, the first thing we always like to do here on The Leading Edge is really recap the last episode. And on that episode, we had on, right out of Newfoundland, David Bucky Buckingham. Bucky shared with us what it was like playing baseball and growing up umpiring in Newfoundland. His experiences at various Baseball Canada National Championships, the two Canada games he attended, as well as the 1999 Pan American Games in Winnipeg, Manitoba. So, if you missed that episode, here's a snip of what you're missing. I started playing baseball, I guess, at the age of 10 in, uh, as we call it here, Little League. Played junior also for four years. Bullet Alexander comes over to me. He said, Buck, Buck. I said, where were you? What? I said, he was out. He said, I don't care if he was out. He said, where were you standing? To be fair to people, you have to have good instructors. Because unless you're told something, you're going to continue to do it. Wow, uh, definitely a, a highlight of my career, uh, Philip, was the Pan Am Games. Um, I'm the umpire chief, so I introduced myself to, uh, to the coaches. I said, hi, my name is Dave Buckingham. My son steps in and says, hi, my name is David Buckingham. And then my brother <laughs> steps in and says, hi, my name is Bill Buckingham. Well, actually, Philip, I think I've done all the levels. Uh, I've done a couple of peewee, I've done a bantam, I've done a midget, uh, I've done a couple of cups, I've done summer games, I've done junior, I've done senior. Yeah, I've done, I've done them all. <laughs> I can certainly pick up the phone and call anywhere within the country and come up with an umpire who will certainly help you out, right? I, we're a very unique bunch. I mean, uh, <laughs> yes. I don't know if there's another sporting official association like umpires. Well, Bucky, I couldn't agree with you more. There is no other group of officials that stick together like a group of umpires. Once again, thank you for coming on and sharing with us your stories from over the years. It's much appreciated. Now, for everyone listening, if you want to listen to that episode, you're listening to this one, but you know where to go. Apple iTunes Podcast, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcast, and most recently, for all you techie people out there, Amazon Alexa. So you can say, hey, Alexa, Play Leading Edge Umpire Stories, and it'll start doing it for you. So, wow, we are advancing. It's pretty cool. Now, one more plug before we get to this week's episode. You know you can find us on Facebook. Go on the social media platform. Look for Leading Edge Umpire Stories, and you'll get some updates, some pictures. Well, especially this week, there'll be some pictures getting thrown up there in regards to Ryan Garland and some of the stories he talks about. So go take a look at it and have some fun. 
Okay, we know you're already looking at the length of this episode and going, wow, this is a long one. So I'm not going to hold you any longer. So without further ado, I'm proud and honored to bring on Baseball Newfoundland Executive Director, a longtime umpire, and a guy who has petitioned McDonald's not once, not twice, but three times to bring back their famous pizza, Ryan Garland. Ryan, welcome to The Leading Edge. Hey, Phil. Thanks for having me. Glad to hear you have a little enthusiasm in your voice and you're excited to be here like I am. But you're a one-of-a-kind kind of guy and that's who you are. Is that an insult or is that a compliment? Well, that's for you to decide. I'm just a speaker of facts. Facts. That's all I have. No fake news, just facts. But you are a one-of-a-kind kind of guy. Well, I thought you were. Only you and Darren Deckender have something in common. You know, being executive directors and all. <laughs> Darren. Okay, now that we got a little schoolgirl giggling to you, it's time to get to the show. One of the first things we like to do here is we like to let the guests talk about their playing career and justify their skills. So share with us about your playing career. Well, I'm probably going to disappoint you because I don't have a playing career. Okay. I've never actually played organized baseball in a, in a minor program or anything like that. I mean, I've played with my buddies and stuff growing up and everything, but I actually played soccer. Well, this just got really awkward. We've known each other for quite a while, and you've never told me this. And I don't know how to make a comment about soccer without offending 95% of the world. Okay, now you're going to have to share with us, how does one go from not playing organized baseball to being an umpire at the highest caliber here in Canada and being the executive director of one of the provincial sporting organizations? I get asked that question a lot, and I... Gen, gen, generally, I don't have an answer because I don't know. Um, when I was first wanted to get a job in the summer, I knew I didn't want to do the normal first job. I didn't want to go to Tim's. I didn't want to work at McDonald's. I wanted something a little different. My brother and sister both played baseball for a summer, and I was like, eh, I've never ever been that good at you know sports or anything like that. I'm just, for some reason, not athletically inclined. Uh, anyone who sees me would know that. I said, I'll I'll try the umpiring instead. And I tried it one year and I, I liked it. And the second year, I liked it even more. And then 10 years, 15 years later, the 2006, I think it was my first year. So this year was year 15. I'm still at it. That's the beautiful thing about the game of baseball is it can attract people from all walks of life, whether you play it or not. And we've said it before, you don't necessarily have to have a fantastic or a specific career as a player in baseball. The opportunity to umpire the game of baseball is something that's unique in itself and we value everybody that comes out and does it now you got into it because you wanted to get make a few bucks but what really made you stick with umpiring after that first or second season yeah uh, i don't know i think it was just a way to stay connected to the game in a different way i mean like i said the first year was strictly selfishly for a job i needed money and Mom and dad were cutting the strings in some capacity. So I was like, okay, time to go, time to go make some money for myself type thing. I don't know. The first year was kind of, okay, this was fun. The second year was kind of, okay, this is, this is getting a little more fun. But the, after that, it's kind of my way to stay involved in the game in a very high level, in a, but in a very different capacity. Because I, I always knew that I would never get to play at the national level or play at even the provincial level because it just simply wasn't good enough. I never had been. But this was a way for me to, get good at something to stay in the game, but still be able to go and have some of those same experiences that players talk about that they look back at their careers and say, yeah, that's, that's why I stuck with it. 
Well, that's a very honest answer. And being involved in baseball at a high level is some of the reasons why I'm still in it today. So it's interesting to say that. Now, what was fun about those early days of umpiring in Newfoundland? Uh, starting out, I, I will say that the the old ejection every now and again was always fun. Yeah. But, I mean, you like to be involved in those high-pressure situations, important games, provincial championships, national championships now. That stuff makes you realize that, especially when you go away to a national, which I'm sure we'll get to later, it makes you realize that you're part of, of a group, the, the third team we always call ourselves. But you want to work hard and you want to be just as good as the two teams on the field because in some ways our roles and our flaws are more highlighted than a player's. If a player makes an error, move on to the next one. Right. But if we miss a pitch and in a 2-2 count in the bottom of the sixth, that can have a huge impact on the game later on. Right. So in some ways for us, it's even more important to, to be good at what we do. And I think that's kind of what, what led me to stay was just the the constant ability to, to get better, to want to get better, and just being a part of the game in a different capacity than I than I thought I would be able to be. Ryan, you bring up a great point. A lot of people get into umpiring and they only think that, hey, I'm just going to get in and call some games and go home and I know everything. A lot of people don't understand that there's a lot of competitiveness to umpiring and that people get into it for one reason and they realize they have an enjoyment about it other ways especially in the baseball canada umpire program people get in they care they want to get better they want to make sure they don't miss that pitch in the sixth inning and they want to ensure that the game is played fairly but also that they're becoming the best umpire that they can be because there's more to umpiring than just calling balls and strikes and outs and safes and let's be honest there is a level of commitment that goes into being a quality umpire whether it's through training rule refreshment time away from family Time away from friends. Yeah, totally. There's there's guys, I mean, I've umpired now at, I've been on the field for seven national championships. I've supervised one. There's, and in, in both, not so much as supervision, but with the umpiring on the field, for sure. As you climb through the program, there are guys who, who want to go places, whether it be an international assignment, whether it be to get to a T12, which I'd love to get to at some point, whether it be just to stay at their level, whatever that might be, whether it's a junior or a cup and, and realize that they can, for lack of a better word, compete with, with everyone else at that event. Uh, you, you don't want to go to these events and look at a place. No. You want to go and look like you belong. You want to make your province look good. You want to make your provincial supervisor look good. The people who've invested time and in certain cases, resources, money, whatever the case may be, you want to make sure that you've done right by them. So to go up and go wherever for your national championship, whether it's in your hometown or across the country, and to not represent yourself and your province well, it's not only disappointing for the province, but it's more so disappointing for yourself. And admittedly, I've, I've had that happen to me before. Went to my first event in 2014, didn't know what I was getting myself into, and I had a really bad week. It's just as well to right. say that I had a bad one, but after that, it was okay, if you wanna be, if you wanna do this, here's what you need to do. Yeah. And you have to make that decision within yourself if you're gonna go down that road, if you're just gonna be the guy who umpires on a Monday night and collects the 60 bucks and goes home. Exactly. Now let's take into consideration your history. What would be some advice you would give to somebody getting into umpiring without any playing experience? No playing experience. If you, I mean, they always say that good baseball players make good umpires and there is truth to that, but you can also be a very good umpire. I like to think I'm an example of that. You can be a very good umpire if you don't play. 
if you're going to get into the game and not have been a player, you have to think like a player. There's got to be some level of anticipation. You've got to have studied the game, whether you watch a lot of it on TV or you just read about it or you get familiar with how the game is played, et cetera, et cetera. You need to, you need to look at the game from a different way in order to get good without actually having played I like it. Now, I disagree with you. I don't think good players make good umpires. I think bad players make decent umpires, and that's why we're going to bring on Jeremy Nash a little while later to, to really <laughs> share with us. Now, Ryan, you talk about studying the game and trying to gain an understanding for the game. How did you bridge that gap? What did you do to do that? A lot of it was, for me, you watch a lot of it on TV, you just familiarize yourself with the game and how it's played and watching and stuff like that. And when I started the umpire, I had a lot of people who, I won't say looked out for me, but they, they took an interest and a, a liking, I guess, to the fact that I was involved at such a young age. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Mark Jones as that guy initially, and I'm sure I'll get a chance to mention a few more names, but Mark, as our current provincial supervisor, and right from when I started umpiring, he was always one of my biggest supporters and still is. So I, I owe a lot to my umpiring career to him. But it came to a point where I was at a, kind of at a crossroads, I guess we'll say, whereby I didn't know if I wanted to get better or I just wanted to stay where I was at. And thanks to Mark, he, he kind of gave me the opportunity to get down to a professional school in 2013 and kind of really see what umpiring was for me then and what it could be if I decided to stick with it and get as good as I possibly could be, whatever that level of good was. So where did you go from umpire school? I went to the sunny hotspot of Daytona Beach, Florida, and went to the Wendelstead Umpire School. And what year was that in? In the winter of 20, I know I said 13 earlier, but I, now that I say that it was New Year's 2014, I left on, I left New Year's Day, 2014. Now, most of us know that the Wendelstead School of Umpiring and the MILB Academy are the pathway or the segue to professional baseball. But in that class, do you know anybody that has made it or is working their way up towards the majors? Wow. Uh, I'd have to go back and look. Um, I know Corey, Corey Blazer, current MLB umpire. I'm almost positive his brother was in our current class, was in our class that year. Okay. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that if I had, I don't know where he is now. I don't know where any of the guys are now, unfortunately, but right. if I, I know that there was, that was the one MLB connection was his brother was, was there, I believe. Now, it's quite interesting. We've talked to other people who have been on the show and have been to these schools, and they go to school with some of these umpires, and they're just individuals like themselves learning the game at the time. But years later, they turn on the TV, and you never really know who you're going to see. Now, I'll say 2014 is probably a little premature to see anybody in the majors or the show this year, but with the COVID climate, you never know what you're going to see. Well, this year especially, we had, I mean, there's 15 yep. normal full-time umpires who opted out because of, of, of covid uh, situation. I mean, that's 15 chances for guys to go show what they've got and hopefully get on a, a call-up list or something like that. I know when I was down, not that it was students, but uh, David Rackley and uh, Jordan Baker, both current umpires, got their full-time spots while we were down there with the major leagues. And that was pretty cool to be down there and just see, see, see their reaction to getting the news. Actually, I remember we were on the field doing drills one day and Jordan Baker got a call stepped away and came back and kind of started whispering to the guys, Hunter, Jerry Lane, some of the MLB umpires on staff, Paul Nart, and kind of told them, I guess, the news that they had got there. He got his full-time spot. And just to see the 
level of, of gratitude, appreciation, and kind of the realization that I finally achieved what I wanted to achieve. And then also while we were down there, uh, Stu Sherwater, our lovely Canadian umpire, yes. uh, he was an instructor, but he also got his major league number, right? which, which is a, a signal that while you don't have your full-time spot, you're on the call-up list, you're in our sites, uh, you'll be up more than you're not type thing. And even his level of appreciation for, for getting that was something to, that I've always remembered. Now, Ryan, you mentioned some big Major League Baseball umpire names there, Paul Nart, Jerry Lane. And once you go to the school, you're part of the family. But in reality, you're always part of the family because as umpires, we're pretty inclusive and we want everyone to participate and enjoy the game. Now, you mentioned Stu Shearwater there too. It's quite interesting. Stu worked his first game in 2014 at Dodger Stadium. And now we're recording this after the World Series. And unfortunately, the LA Dodgers have won, but we won't talk about that right now. (laughs) That's an inside joke, guys. Yeah, it's very much inside. Yes, that contest is still under protest. I believe the Dodgers cheated to win the World Series. I agree. Now let's bring it back on topic. You look at a guy like Stu Sherwater. Isn't it interesting that in a couple of years when you go to that school that that could be you? It's- Absolutely. I mean, when I went down to school, I I went down knowing, A, I wasn't good enough to go to minor leagues or the, the Peabock development camp. And I also knew, B, I didn't want to go. And I, I, I knew I went down knowing I had no desire to go to professional umpiring. I just wanted to go down and get the best training I possibly could. And there was no better chance to go than for me, just in my own personal life, than at that time. I The timing couldn't have worked out any better. And I just knew what I was going down there to do was to make myself a better amateur umpire, as good as I possibly could be. And I think that is a philosophy that a lot of us take on the field every time we go out. Be the best umpire you can be, attend some education sessions where you can. And that's the beautiful thing about the Baseball Canada Umpire Program is those become available as you become a member. Now, moving on. You are the executive director of Baseball Newfoundland. Can you explain to us what the executive director role does within a provincial sporting organization? Uh, in Newfoundland, the, it's basically everything. <laughs> uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the PSOs, ours in particular, there's not a lot of staff. I mean, obviously, some of the bigger ones have multiple staff people, but myself is just me. So I, I'm basically responsible for everything, whether it be in the in the I'll say the off season. So now, basically, it's emails it's phone calls it's planning it's it's prep for the following season it's this year it's looking back and going how did we get through this year right normally it's it's a lot of planning and prep this time of year and then around march things start to ramp up again meetings and more intense planning and our provincial teams kick off trials for for that stuff and then once may comes around we're back on the fields and most towns whether depending on the weather and stuff we're playing some outdoor baseball in some capacity or indoor spending on if the the city or town has to the facilities but then come june it's pedal to the metal full stop don't blink and you'll miss it and come the end of september you go again how did we get through that i find that funny because yes sometimes these seasons can be quick because sometimes in some of the provinces baseball season is very quick you blink and you miss it you're right now let's talk about the baseball canada or as the national governing body do you take what they say and then try to produce it locally, or how does that relationship work? Yeah, yeah, yes and no. I won't say we won't, and I won't say we will. I think Baseball Canada gives us a great a great vehicle to do as much as we can within our province. Okay. 
Uh, I mean, certain provinces, like the bigger ones, Ontario, Quebec, BC, stuff like that, they're able to, because they have the players, they have different season times, they have more right. facilities, et cetera. They're able to do more, whether it be to run, just as an example, run rally cap programming, grand slam programming, and my first pitch programming. I mean, we admittedly can't do that just based on our season and our timelines, but we do take elements from those other programs. Our rally cap program is one of our most popular, but we will take elements from the other programs and implement them in other ways. So while we can't run a full program, some of the ideologies, some of the some of the thoughts, some of the, the common teaching goals are applied elsewhere. And that's what Baseball Canada lets us do with the flexibility. The flexibility. They just let us kind of, here's the tools, use them as you think you can. Now, you simply mentioned Rally Cap there, but in your opinion, what do you think is the most successful program that Baseball Newfoundland has at the moment? Wow. Uh, from a, Again, from a national level, I would say the Rally Cap program for sure. It's the introductory program. It's where we get our most, uh, obviously, new players and where we try to teach them the love of the game initially. But in terms of a strict baseball NL program, uh, our girls program the last two or three years on a provincial level has skyrocketed. Fantastic. In we we had a down year in registration this year, obviously, because yeah, of, again, COVID else. pandemic and whatnot. But even in a down year for total registration, our girls' registration across the province increased 10%. Fantastic. So uh, from a grassroots level, our girls' program is, is has taken off. We have now a full-time high-performance program for our girls' programming, which we're hoping to take the same – take the same uh, mindset and apply it to our, our boys programming as well. But our girls program is it's the only real driver for registration increases we've had in the last two, if not three years. Well, it's fantastic to hear that female baseball is growing in the province of Newfoundland. And this week, baseball Canada had a big announcement that baseball Newfoundland has been awarded what the 21 U female invitational for 2021 and 2022. Yeah, we've got it in both years. Hopefully we get to play baseball in both those years right. at the national level, but no, we're, we're thrilled to have it. It's uh, it's, there's no better promotional tool than we can use than the highest level. Again, apart from the senior women's championship, the, uh, the next highest level of national competition to be in our backyard on, in some people's opinions, the most popular baseball field in the province, St. Pat's. If you ask people from the West Coast, they might say Jubilee Field in Cornerbrook. It's one of the premier ballparks in, in the province, St. Pat's. Is. And to have a, an event like the Senior Women's National, or sorry, 21U Women's National at St. Pat's will be something that our girls can look towards and go, oh, I can do this too. And we're really excited to have that. It's great to hear that baseball Newfoundland and the city of St. John's are stepping up to host that championship. Because let's be honest, there's no better way than to promote the sport than to host some of these events right in the backyard. So as umpires, every time we travel to one of these championships, I know I'm very grateful for the work that these host committees do put into making sure these events run seamlessly and that participants and spectators have such an enjoyable time. No, totally. And again, it's it's something we've, we've struggled with the... I guess I shouldn't say struggle. That's not fair. We wonder where our program is going to go post 16U because right. admittedly we don't have anything beyond that at, in, in the province. But now we see this, this our, our team will be young in both years, admittedly, and younger, not younger next year. But it, it gives us a chance to show girls that are just starting or have been in it a couple of years or, or even just thinking about playing. It goes, oh, if I want to play this game at a high level or 
if I want to showcase my skills at a high level, I'll be able to do that at this event. And that's something that we're really looking forward to as a as a way to promote our girls' game and promote just baseball in the province, promote our city, St. John's, promote the area, promote the province. If people want to go on vacation, it's uh, I know every time that people come to Newfoundland for events, whether it's baseball or otherwise, and specifically baseball because I'm involved with it, they love to be here. Not so much for the the reason they're here, whether it's baseball or or their job or whatever. But they just love to be here because it's Newfoundland. It's one of those bucket list places. So we're really looking forward to being able to highlight that as well. There's no question. When it comes to Newfoundland, it is definitely a bucket place on my list, umpire. I would love the opportunity to get to Newfoundland just in general. So I'm excited to hear that Newfoundland is stepping up and hosting these various championships. When it comes to female baseball, Baseball Canada is not foreign to the thought of a Newfoundlander on the team. For many years, Heather Healy, Newfoundland product has been part of the women's national team. It's quite interesting. Yes, now it's quite interesting how small the baseball Canada world is. This summer I was umpiring senior men's here in Saskatchewan. Well, it's a senior men's league. It's not the AAA league that many feel, but there's lots of local leagues and show up to the game and there's a female playing second base. Now, never seen this family before on this team and you're kind of start asking questions. What's going on? Who are you? Where are you from? Never seen them come up to the system and come to find out it was Heather Healy right out of Newfoundland. She's out here working now. Now, to fairness, I did recognize the name in the lineup card, but I couldn't pinpoint it at the moment and come to find out she was part of the Canadian national team. So just goes to show how small this world is in the baseball Canada scene when you start really digging into it. No, totally. Heather actually, uh, she played here for a number of years and got her first chance to play with the women's national team. Uh, I'm not sure when now, probably 2016 or 17 and moved out to Saskatchewan now the last couple of years to uh, do RCMP training. Now she's living out there full time, work for the RCMP and it's good to hear that she's still playing ball. She's a great ball player. Again, gave, gave our current group of, of female baseball players that kind of role model, that, that person that they could go, oh, I can be like her. And when one does it for the current, you know, in our high performance program, the, the 50 we have, the, the, the spinoff from that is one turns into 50, 50 turns into hopefully 500. And it, it, it all goes back to, to what she's been able to do from that level. And it's, it's, it's important to remember that it all starts from somewhere. And Heather is certainly one of the founding starting points for us, for sure. Exactly. Everything has to start from somewhere. So it's good to see some of the founding members contributing back to the local systems and giving inspiration to the futures because there's people like Andre Lachance that have come up and put a lot of effort into the women's national team to get them where they are and help them secure what a silver medal a few years ago at the world championships. So it's fantastic to see that that program is excelling and doing well. Now let's move on to another Newfoundland hotspot. We've talked about him before, Troy Croft, member of the 1991 World Youth Championship team. Troy helped the team propel to win a gold medal in Brandon, Manitoba. And we've talked with Blaise LeVay yeah. in a previous episode. And I think it's important to say that that helped Canada win their only gold medal so far ever on the world championship scene. Yes, they've won Pan Am gold, but this is their first and only medal as a world champion. Time to brag on Newfoundland a little bit. People think they're a small province, but they've definitely had a big impact on baseball Canada and the world championship scene. Yeah, no, that uh, that that 1991 event. Uh, obviously, I was just born 91, so I have no actual memory of it, or <laughs> or even or even created memory. People have told me. Yeah. But um, I actually work in the same office building as as Troy. He's the executive director for sport. I know. Oh, so I'll see Troy every day, and uh, he 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 doesn't talk about it a lot, hardly ever. 
unless you bring it up to him and then he, he gushes about it and doesn't stop talking about it. Fair enough. But no, that's that's another one of those things. And and I believe, I know for sure we had another player play for the junior national team, Miles Vincent from the West Coast and Cornwall Miles as a left-handed pitcher. Did have a, a short stint with the junior national team. I believe it was in 2013. Pitched in an event and actually pitched against Italy and uh, and beat them in an event. So again, we, we don't have a lot of players who played at that level. Again, just per capita. We don't have a lot of players that get there. But when they do get there, they have the talent. We've always had our chance to represent, whether it be a player every year for 20 years or two players 30 years apart. Fantastic to hear. And for all those West Coast listeners, Miles did play for the Lethbridge Bulls back in 2013 and 2014 in the, at that time, Western Major League Baseball, now known as the Western Canadian Baseball League. But let's move on to some of your national championship experience, Ryan. You mentioned that you've been to seven nationals, is it? I've been to seven on the field, and I've supervised one. So I guess that's eight different events total, I think. Yeah, seven plus one is eight. Uh, I know hey. that, I know Newfoundland is a half-hour time zone ahead, but seven plus one, I think, is still eight there. I think that gives us the bell, does it not? There you go. So, Ryan, you say you've been to eight championships. What have been some of the highlights? Uh, the highlight or highlights there's always a lot uh the highlights for me the first time i actually got to go like i said wasn't a great event i'll admit that i did not perform well but it was nice to go and get the experience and realize what i had to do to perform well right ryan looking back on it do you think that you were underprepared for the tournament kind of a big fish small pond thought you knew it all it was a it was a lot of stuff i'll admit it was it was a lot of compounding factors i didn't really know what to get into or what i was getting into I had just gotten home from umpire school that previous winter. I went down in winter 2014, umpire my first national summer 2014. So I, I guess I thought a lot. I thought I was a lot better than I was. I won't say that nightlife got the best of me because I've never been a night night person and and never got out. But there were some nights that I was probably a little more irresponsible than I should have been, <laughs> uh, and and the, my performance next morning highlighted that okay but I, I i think we get based on your other podcast we get the chance to kind of tell people at the end what their piece of advice would be yeah uh, i'm going to tell you too my i'll make up another one for the latter part but my first piece of advice would be if you're going to go to an actual take it seriously okay and my first one i admittedly didn't do that as much as i should have I, I appreciated being there i knew what i was getting into in some capacity but i didn't really appreciate what i was doing until it was over and i was sitting behind the fence watching the championship game not on the field and realizing damn i want to be out there for that last game so and i didn't care what the position was i just realized i wanted to be a part of that final game i don't want to be sitting on the sidelines your performance as an umpire reflects where you land one through 12 or one through nine at the at the 13u i was not in the top four at that event i had to realize i had to get there so so no but after that first national championship uh, uh, again the, the program has come so far in the last five years six years now whatever it is it's it's uh, you can see it even year over year like from from 14 to 15 15 to 16 just incremental changes but if you look at it from 14 to now last year 19 obviously no nationals this year the the growth in the program the changes they've made if you can go and be serious about it you can do very well I think that's one of the fun things about going to the championships is the setbacks, but learning from the setbacks because we all umpire our local association or local town every Tuesday night and go out and treat it as if, okay, get off work, let's head to the field. But when you're there and you're just immersed in it for four, five, six days, it really does, you do get that drive to want to be on that last game no matter what. 
And I know that I've gone to championships and even had what I thought was good games. And people can be in your like, mm, I could have did this differently, or I could have did that differently, or I wasn't prepared for that. What would be one right. of your tips to prepare prior to a championship now that you've had the opportunity to be a supervisor? You've got to get on the field. You have to take the time to get on the field, get as many games as you can, get as many reps as you can. I went to the Canada Cup in 2018. For anyone who, who's in the program, everyone knows that the Canada Cup is kind of the fork in the road. That's the highest minor championship. That's where you're identified as a potential major championship umpire. And for us in Canada, that's a Canada Games or a junior or senior national. Or you're identified as an umpire who you're pretty good, you're going to stay in the program, but we really don't see you being able to take that jump to the next level. At least right at that moment. There's some people that like can always come back. And 100%. Yep. And, at that moment, but at that time, you go to your first one, it's, it's kind of a, okay, this is a fork in the road. Which way do you want to go? Right. And when I went to the cup in 18, I, I knew that. I realized I had to get my work in early. So I was in indoor gyms in February. This might sound silly to some, but I was in indoors in February watching bullpens and calling balls and strikes in February because I knew I wanted to see pitches before May and June. We umpire Newfoundland 85% of our games in two umpire system, but you have to take that initiative because we umpire the three umpire system at the national championships. You have to take that initiative upon yourself to get familiar with it because there's no there's no one or two game grace. You have to know it. You have to get up there. You have to go right from first pitch of the first game. So whether for me that was going down on a Monday night with two guys, again, I also make the umpire schedule here, so I could selfishly schedule the umpires for guys that I wanted to work with, or I'd put two guys on who wanted to work together, and I'd go down and be the third guy for free because I wanted to get my three umpire games in before I left. I wanted to not show up and need the first two or three games to reactivate myself with the three umpire system before I actually – Got familiar with it. Now, Ryan, you mentioned that you have to be ready and rock solid from the first pitch, and that's right. I'm not going to lie. I'll be selfish here, and I really hope that the first pitch of every championship is just simply a nice strike, boom, ready to go, take a breath, you're here, reset, focus. I've never had the opportunity to work a plate in my first game, so on the bases, I always like to just want to see a pitch and just take it all in for one second. Yeah, totally. I've, like I said, I've umpired at seven national championships now, junior last year. And the minute I stepped on the field, I wanted to get out there, get comfortable, and especially get behind the plate. You want that first pitch to come in. You want to hear the pop of the glove. You want to make sure your timing is okay for yourself. You want to make sure that the next 150, 200 pitches, seven innings or longer is not going to be uncomfortable. Right. For most of us, it's probably about 150 to 200 pitches. But if Jeremy Nash is on the plate, I'm looking at 275, three and a quarter. So if Jeremy Nash is on the plate, tell your kids that you won't be home at any point. Yeah. Nash gets paid by the pitch, not by the uh, not by the outcall. Anybody that has abs- it's because of umpires like Jeremy Nash that they had to change the pitch count rule at the national championships. Instead of just saying innings pitched, they had to go to pitches thrown because Jeremy makes sure the game's really long. The old adage is safes and outs, or sorry, outs and strikes and outs get you home. <laughs> Nash always says, yeah, but ball, uh, pitches pay the bills, so, you know. Yep, that's so true. But Nash isn't a really tall guy, so he has a really small strike zone himself. So he really believes that, well, everyone deserves a small strike zone. Now, Ryan, looking back at your national championships, who are some of the umpires that you've had the opportunity to work with? 
Wow, uh, a lot, a lot of really good umpires, a lot of really good buddies of mine. Still, I mean, you obviously being one, oh, I wouldn't you. be on this podcast if uh, if you didn't coerce me and twist my arm and bribe me off screen. So you're welcome. Uh, no, but uh, you, of course, Jeremy, who'll be on and who'll be on shortly. Uh, me and Jeremy, Jeremy actually came down here, I believe, in. He'll correct me if I'm wrong. Either 2012 or 13 to umpire the 13U Atlantic here in Newfoundland. Then I went up there. We umpired a few years later together in in London, and we've basically been in touch in some way, shape, or form ever since. Uh, but apart from you guys, Andrew Downs. Andrew is a, an umpire originally from Newfoundland and lives here for the majority of his life. Uh, moved away probably 20 years ago now. Uh, moved to Nova Scotia. I with, I've supervised with. I've had a social beverage or two with. Uh, Andrew's a, a good umpire friend of mine. He's a good buddy of mine. Actually, I shouldn't just say umpire. He's a good friend of mine. Everywhere I go, everywhere I've been, there's it's it hasn't really been a crew of umpires that I've top to bottom hated working with. In every group of 12 to 15 people who've never met each other, you're always going to find someone you don't like. Oh. That's just the reality of the situation. But there's not a guy... Or girl, I've umpired with some of the women on our program as well, and they're all fantastic. I've supervised some of them. And there's not someone I haven't worked with in either capacity where I've gone, damn, I don't want to see that person ever again. And I think that's the end goal is to just get up there and enjoy the time you have. You're there with these guys, girls, for five, six, seven days. It can be a long five, six, seven days if you don't try to like them. You make it an enjoyable experience. Now, I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't. doesn't sound like you've ever had the opportunity to umpire with a guy like Stephen Clark. Now, now, now. We can't throw Clark on <laughs> no, the bus. No, that's all inter- inside jokes. We love but, Stephen Clark. But but jokes aside, we wouldn't have to throw Steve under the bus. He'd just walk under it. <laughs> right on time. No, we love Stephen Clark. That's the beautiful thing. We're, we're all from different parts of the country, but we can throw names and people out and laugh about stuff because we all really are a big family at the end of the day. Baseball Canada National Empire Program, I think, is what? 500 people? Yeah, I, I don't have an exact number, but I got to think that it's it's certainly up around that area for sure. And it might even be less than that. Uh, yeah, I would say even less because, I mean, I think Saskatchewan can throw, what, 35? Newfoundland has eight. New Brunswick probably has, you know, a dozen. Nova Scotia, same thing. So we might even be less than that. Alberta's around 60 or so. So in reality, it is a very tight, small, tight-knit family, and that's what I love about it is because every couple of years you get to go back and see some of the people that you met previously and show off how you've gotten better yeah and it's 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 nice to see the trajectory that we've all kind of experienced i mean i went to our first national in 2014 have been going ever since again apart from this year but um every year i've gone it's kind of been the same some combination of the same group of people yeah i think i've, I've been on the field for seven championships i think I'm, i think i'm on part with jeff Bryan four times uh, we're all kind of on the same path. Phil Bourgeois is another one. I've umpired with Phil twice, if not three times. Uh, again, it's just once you get in that program and get to your first one, you kind of see the same faces over and over and over again, just yeah. based on your own career path. It is, and it's a career path. I call it a generation. You're you're kind of stuck for the next 10 years. These will be probably the same people. You're either on your way up or on your way out. Yeah, I don't even want to say it in the mean way because some of the guys that have been and I don't even want to say guys some of the umpires that have gone up they've reached the highest level and they're coming back down to mentor and be the experience at the younger levels to help those up and coming umpires become the best umpires they can be if it wasn't for a guy like Bill McMillan out of British Columbia that I met at the 15 years ago 
he helped me and he's like straight out at the start of the tournament this is my last championship guys i was looking forward to it i'm here let's have fun with it so it's it's not a knock if you're on your way out people enjoy umpiring and then there's nothing wrong with that no absolutely I, last year for me at the, at the junior in in gatineau or i think it was gatineau at the junior we kind of took a different approach we only had 10 umpires going normally we have some multiple of three whether it's 9 12 15 so we can establish crews but we actually had 10 umpires go so what we did is we took the international approach and we just work with different crews every day so i got a chance to work with some absolutely fantastic umpires lisa turbis trevor drury Corey klein i'm, I'm missing names i know i am chris frost from new brunswick uh and i know rob campaign from ontario is another one you just get to work with with guys who uh, pistol piece at a manitoba peter Barrow. yeah and uh you just you get the opportunity to realize kind of where you stand with with some of these names again i've lisa's on the on the grassroots national committee i know trevor's been internationally umpiring for for a number of years Lisa's also uh, when those, WBSC, when those opportunities presented themselves and to be able to get on the field with any number of them in any capacity was was selfishly great for me because it, it gave me a chance to kind of see where i was we had we had great supervisors at that event uh, jamie killingsworth was our lead stefan dupont and uh, the third supervisor escapes me now but I remember those two in particular. Just, just all three supervisors were fantastic. Great, great mentors and great teachers and great ways to explain things and make you look at things differently. And then lucky enough to get myself to work the gold medal game at third base. You only get one call at third base to form fire system. I got it right. Um, <laughs> That's for us to judge later. But, yeah, thank you. Um, but no, you only get, you don't get those chances very often. And our gold medal crew last year. Uh, Trevor Drury worked the place. Rob Companion worked first. Corey Klein from BC worked second base, and I was a third. And I we don't do any four umpire system home. We just don't. Not a lot of not a lot of time to do it. We don't umpire that type of of, of event, so we don't do it. And admittedly, you only really do four umpire system in the medal games at your national championship. Yeah. So we don't invest a lot of time into it. But those three guys. With their experience, I was very nervous. Uh, those three guys got me through that game. I I didn't know how to umpire for umpire system, really. Uh, and those those three guys made sure that I didn't look totally lost out there. And to to get their kind of feedback and help, they all had their own their own stuff to, to focus on. They got to focus on their own calls, especially the plate umpire, whoever that is, is focusing on every pitch of every of every inning. Uh, that was that was nice to be able to go up there and, and do that with those guys for, for seven days. It was a lot of fun. Let's back it up here, Garland. The other umpires there were Dean Oberly, Josh Friedman, and Tyler Bourne. And the other supervisor was Phil Lamaru. Phil, yes, I should have known that. Phil, if you're listening, I'm sorry. You've been a previous guest on the show. I'm so sorry. I should have okay. known that. We knew how nervous you were for the championship. You still can't remember it. Yeah, in fact. I Man. love you, Phil. Thank you. You, you mean me, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, quick little disclaimer here. The audio is going to change. The reason being is that we had already recorded the episode and we got a request from some of our fans to spark Ryan's interest and to talk quickly about one of his passions. So we're going to get into it, but just a heads up, the audio does change and I want to thank Ryan for giving us some more time a couple days later and talking about the following topic. So please enjoy. Now, Ryan, I think we can all admit one of the fun things about going to a national championships is some of the memories that we make and some of the experiences that we get to enjoy with some of our fellow umpires. 
Now, I heard a rumor about you from the Baseball Canada Cup back there a Moncton a few years back, but I heard that you might be a stone-cold Steve Austin fan. Is there any truth to that? Well, Phil, I'm more than just a stone-cold Steve Austin fan. I'm a wrestling fan in general, but nice. we can get to that in a minute if you'd like. But, oh, yeah. yes, I, I might be partial to stone-cold Steve Austin. Now, why stone-cold? Uh, when I was a kid, born in 91, so when I was five, six, seven years old growing up, uh, he was he was the guy to watch on wrestling, and admittedly, my grandmother got into it. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, <laughs> but uh, my grandmother got me into wrestling, and it's uh, one of those things. She's passed away since in 2012, and it's one of those things. Even though I like it and still like it to this day, it's one of those things that makes me think of her. So it's got some happier memories too. That's awesome. It sounds like you have like the super cool grandma. Remember grandma from Happy Gilmore? Was that your grandma? Grandma Gilmore. No, it wasn't her. She was pretty close. <laughs> now, what's the significance of being a Stone Cold Steve Austin fan at the Baseball Canada Cup? Well, we were at the Canada Cup. I'll, I'll try to keep this story as PG as possible while doing Stone Cold, the, the, the service he deserves. Okay. We were at the Canada Cup, and it was our championship Sunday, and I was got the pleasure to umpire the bronze medal plate. It was a big assignment for me at the time, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. So I can off the field. We watched the gold medal game. We're, we're in the dressing room afterwards, and up to this point, I had a Bluetooth speaker with me at the event, and I like to pump, play some music in the dressing room when I'm getting ready because it you know, just gets the boys amped up and the girls amped up, whoever's on fire, and gets us ready to go. So uh, whether you like wrestling or not, some of their entry music is pretty good. And when you hear Stone Cold Steve Austin, if anyone's familiar, the glass shatters. No. That gets everyone jacked up pretty quick. So we're all sitting around at the end of the championship game, and we're having a, a cold beverage in the in the umpire's uh, dressing room. I may or may not, through some peer pressure, buy a Saskatchewan-based umpire supervisor, kind of a short fella. I'll leave his name out of the, the mix, but a short supervisor from the Saskatchewan area. May or may not have pressured me into, I'll say, reenacting Stone Cold's famous uh, beer bash from the top rope turnbuckle area. So I may or may not have left the dressing room with a very wet shirt and uh, a jacket and beer-covered face, but it was all in good fun. We had a good time. You know, that brings back a lot of memories of my youth, watching Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock. Some of my favorites were Mankind, Dude Love, Cactus Jack. Love that guy. Oh, yeah. When it comes to wrestlers, I think Mick Foley is the best wrestler entertainer of all time. No question. I met Mick Foley. He came down there for an autograph signing, I'll say, two years ago, maybe three now. And I had a buddy of mine at the office who was a very good artist. I had him do an original picture drawing of the three faces of Foley and some other stuff. So in one area, I've got Cactus Jack. In one area, I've got Dude Love. And in one area, I've got Mankind. And uh, when I met Mick, I had it done before Mick got here. I actually got Mick to sign it with all three signatures, with his Cactus Jack signature, with his Dude Love signature, with his Mankind signature. It's one of the cooler pieces of sports memorabilia I have. It's, it's pretty cool. This is a famous post-show edit. Go check out our Facebook page, Leading Edge Umpire Stories. You're going to see a picture of Garland and Mick Foley with Garland's brother at that autograph signing. Now back to the show. Having the chance to meet Mick Foley, man, that's pretty cool. Now, being the wrestling fan that you are, have you ever had the opportunity to take any events in live? I've been to a few events live when I was a kid. Uh, my grandmother took me to a couple of uh, WWE events, WWF at the time, but... Yep couple of events that were here in uh, St. John's. I remember very vividly the two we went to. The Undertaker performed at the first one. 
And when the gongs went down, I was so scared I couldn't get out of the chair. I was sitting in the second row. <laughs> and then that same night, Shawn Michaels uh, main evented against the British Bulldog. I couldn't reach my hand out to touch Shawn as he walked past it. I'll never forget that. But uh, the come full circle with Shawn Michaels, I actually got to go to WrestleMania uh, in New York, WrestleMania 35, oh, wow. in 2019. And I met Shawn. I got a picture with Shawn. Uh, me and the three, uh, the two guys I was with, it was me, the two guys, and Sean. They're all doing the, the quick pose with the with the hand up. And that was that was pretty cool to come full circle and actually get to meet Sean and kind of vindicate that wrong from so many years ago. That does seem pretty cool to come full circle. Now, talk about WrestleMania. That's what? The World Series of Wrestling, would you say? That is the World Series. That is the Super Bowl. That is whatever professional championship you want to say. That is, that is the mecca of professional wrestling if you want to get to an event. Now, you said WrestleMania 35 held in New York. Wasn't that held outside? Outdoor stadium, MetLife in New Jersey, actually. With anyone who's a football fan knows that's where the New York Jets and Giants play. So we were in a stadium filled with 81, 82,000-ish other people, give or take. It was a massive crowd. And it uh, took us an eternity to get back to Times Square. An absolute eternity. Something we can't do now because of the COVID, but we're not going to focus on that. Now, i got to ask you quickly, and then we'll move on. You talk about Undertaker. Was the other half of the Brother of Destruction there? Was Kane there? Because I was a Kane fan more than I was an Undertaker fan. Uh, was Kane at WrestleMania 35? Oh, I don't no. think he was. Actually, oh, sorry. Originally, was he where? Originally back th- back in the day when you got to see them. Originally. Oh, back in the day. Yes, 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 yes. Oh. So Kane was there. And I can remember uh, Kane wasn't at the first show because I think that was just before Kane. That might have been 94 or 95. Kane didn't debut until 96. Yeah. So I when I when uh, I went actually. back to another, I think it was ninety two. Yeah, ninety two doesn't count. He debuted as Kane in nineteen ninety six. Okay, fair up enough. After that, he was some weird. After that, he was some weird dentist for Jerry Lawler. Oh. Anyway, um, back to I, a second show came. I want to say in nineteen ninety eight or nineteen ninety nine, and I have a memory of that one. Is my dad actually missed half the show, standing out in the merchandise line trying to buy me a Bret Hart shirt. I went with my grandmother and my dad. He missed half the show doing that for me. But Kane actually performed on that show. The main event would have been Brett Noe and Hart uh, tag-teaming against uh, Stone Cold and your guy, Dude Love, Mick Foley. Uh, it, was, it was a good night. Sounds like a good night. And it sounds like your father really loves you if he's going to stand out there for a shirt. But I would have went more with the Hitman Shades. Uh, I'll, I'll circle back to WrestleMania. So I also met Bret Hart uh, at WrestleMania. got him to sign a couple of things for me. And I did get a pair of Bret Hart Shades. Now that's the definition of full circle. It, uh, wrestling's one of those things for me. It's it's a uh, it's one of those things you don't really talk about often because, admittedly, people either look at you really funny and go, "What you're a wrestling fan," or they look at you and go, "What you're a wrestling fan," and they're really excited because they are too. <laughs> yes. So uh, I try to feel the room out and uh, I see where I can slip it in occasionally. But for anyone who knows me really well knows that I'm a I'm a pretty big fan. Well, that's good. You know what? Nothing to be ashamed about. It's exactly they don't even lie to you. You know, people say, "Oh, that's that's not that's not a sport." They tell you it's entertainment world. Absolutely. There are certain things that are fake about it or predetermined, we'll say, and I'm the first one to admit that. But there are also things that are not predetermined that take a lot of athletic ability that people don't give them enough credit for. Oh, no question. These guys and girls are out there every night putting their bodies on the line to put on a performance. They're athletes. No question about it. Oh, totally. They're, they're athletes in the in some of the highest levels imaginable, and it's just they choose to, that to be their, their focus area, not baseball or basketball or golf or whatever the case. No, oh, don't take this the wrong way, people, but I think that wrestling has more athletic ability than golf does, and I like golf. You should hit the bell for that one. Since you're talking, Brett the Hitman hurt so much, one more question, and you've brought up WrestleMania. 
What's your opinion on the Montreal Screwjob? Oh, you'll paint me into a corner now. Back in the day, I was a really, really big Shawn Michaels fan. Okay. Really big. I know, I know Brett's Canadian, and yeah. I've grown to appreciate and like Brett more now in my in my elder years than I did when I was a kid. The Montreal Screwjob. If I had to give an opinion, while I don't think it was planned in any way, because how do you plan something like that and have everyone be okay with it? I think at the end of the day, everybody kind of benefited as best they could have. We got the spot on the Mr. McMahon character. We got a great feud with him and Stone Cold that lasted three years, basically, right up to WrestleMania 17, when they weirdly joined forces, and that was just weird. Uh, Brett went to WCW, made a whack load of money. Unfortunately, got super kicked by Goldberg and ended his career prematurely. Yeah. Uh, Shawn Michaels went on to be one of the greatest of all time, arguably the greatest in-ring performer of all time. Even Triple H, while not immediately Ugh. in the in the aftermath of the screw job. He ended up being one of the greatest in-ring generals, wrestlers, first ballot Hall of Famers we've ever seen. So it really worked out well for everyone. But at the time, I remember the next morning waking up going, what just happened as a very naive six-year-old kid <laughs> going, oh, my God, what did Vince do to Brett? Yeah. And for the next six months, all you heard was Brett screwed Brett or Vince screwed Brett or in some circles, Sean screwed Brett. It was, it was definitely pop culture worthy back in the day. Going to have to cut you off right there, Ryan. You've mentioned Triple H. And I am not a fan. So that's it. No more wrestle talk. Well, Ryan, that concludes the first half here of the Leading Edge this episode. What we're going to do is what we talked about is we're going to bring on a good buddy of ours, Jeremy Nash, and we're going to do kind of a three-way discussion here about why we got into umpiring, what we enjoy about it, and how we've all become interconnected, even though we come from various walks of life. So let's go to our first commercial break ever here in the Leading Edge and want to say a big shout out and a thank you to our sponsors. So here it is. Do you need umpire equipment? Did you know that there's a Canadian umpire store? If you didn't, then head on over to AtlanticOfficials.ca and Mike will help you get on your way. Text or call 506-866-6436. 506-866-6436. Mike will help you get on your way at AtlanticOfficials.ca. You can also find them on Facebook. And welcome back here to the Leading Edge. We like to just shout out, that was our first ever commercial. Actually, it's just a support of a guy by the name of Mike Doucette out of New Brunswick, who's started his own little umpire gear store. So just a shout out, he's not paying us. I just wanted to have some fun. So Mike, thanks for letting us shout out to your business and everyone else. Get a hold of AtlanticOfficials.ca and Mike will help you get on your way. And anyways, we're back here on the Leading Edge. We have first half guest waiting in the shoot, Ryan Garland, and we've brought on or brought back our first ever guest of the show, Jeremy Nash. Jeremy, welcome back to The Leading Edge. Thanks for having me back, Philip. I'm surprised it took this long from everything I've heard. I'm still the most popular one you've had, so I'm kind of disappointed. <laughs> it took you to, at this point, it took you that long to get me back on. But well, I have the ability in the background to look at the statistics, and it's amazing how many <laughs> listeners actually listen to your show. That's fantastic. You have the most listens, but what the most disappointing part is is that they never make it past the first episode, so I'm going to give you the opportunity, unlike most umpires, to fix your mistake. Yeah, well, it's either saying that I was really good, or I'm the reason why no one else came back to listen. One of the two. I say the latter. Um, oh, Ryan Garland in the wing there, shooting bullets from the hip. Yeah, I would recommend anybody listening to this episode to not listen to the first episode or not make that the next episode. It's kind of like Star Wars. Nobody liked episode one. But anyways, I'll give you a chance to redeem yourself just once. Sure, I'm excited to be back. Now, the reason why I brought you back is... Ryan and I alluded to earlier, the 
beautiful thing about being part of the Baseball Canada umpire community is that we get the opportunity to see each other on a regular basis. But what's really interesting is the people that we meet throughout this. Now, you and I knew each other, of course, growing up, but how Ryan has come into our lives, as you could say, and the enjoyment, just how we've made that connection. Share with us really how you met Ryan. Well, I met Ryan originally, would have been in St. John's. What year was that, Carolyn? Yeah, it was 2012. At the uh, 13 years, what was that, 13U, St. John's? Yep, yep. 2012. So what was your what was your capacity at that tournament? That whole thing kind of a blur. You were just kind of the... I did everything. I was yeah. kind of some ad hoc member of the host committee. I was some ad hoc member of making sure the umpires enjoyed themselves. I somehow ended up down at Mark Jones's on the uh, Saturday night, I believe it was, to uh, partake yeah. in your party. Uh, I think, I think that's, I that's where that's, that's where we that's where we I think we got the uh, most enjoyment out of each other. And you said that you were there to make sure the umpires had a good time. I most definitely had a good time. My weekend yeah. in St. John's. No, right. no doubt about that. The same the same night that uh, I was introduced to uh, Crown Royal and Root Beer. Shout out to Dave Dion for that. Uh, I haven't touched it since, but shout out Dave Dion for. A great mix. I got a question now. Since you're in St. John's, Newfoundland, was that the night that Patty Murphy died? It's a night I'll never forget. <laughs> that was the night that I ended up, I, I bought some screech and brought it over to Jones's, and I quickly got a history lesson about the province of Newfoundland that I did not know I was going to get. If anyone ever has screech, don't bring it around Mark Jones unless you want a very detailed <laughs> history history lesson. <laughs> That's so true. I won't, I won't ruin the whole story just in case someone wants to get it, but... Jones, Jones is definitely passionate about the history. Spoiler alert, guys, don't want to get that story. Avoid that one if you can. <laughs> no, no, it was, a little, it was a little bit of a buzzkill. I had to rally back after that one, but we managed, we managed yeah. to do all right. We did okay. So you guys meet each other in 2013. Interesting fact. 12. 2012. Get your shit right. Okay, so you guys meet each other in what? 2012, 13, whatever it is. I don't really care anymore. Let's fast forward to 2016. Garland and I meet each other over in the East Coast in the beautiful province of Prince Edward Island where we're buying 50-50 tickets and supporting the local economy at the 15U Championship. Did they ever announce the winner of those 50-50s? I've yet to really hear too much. I don't ever remember an announcement. I've never won a 50-50 at a national championship. I don't think they ever announced it. Nope, that's right. I've, a, yeah, I've never won. Point. Yeah, it's yeah. a donation. You're right. I think we can all agree it's just somewhere for the umpires to spend their per diem money. Correct. So, Ryan, we hit off this kind of relationship. And the interesting thing, like it is, who do you know? Who do I know? Where did we run into each other before? It's a small family, and it was just so interesting that we each both knew Nash. But it gets fun because next year, don't you guys both meet up somewhere again? 2017 at the uh, 18 new Nationals in London. Yeah. We, were, uh, we're, we're not on the same crew. And like I said, we've, we've been in the same area with three times now, Garo, and Still haven't been on the same field, so that definitely has to be a bucket list for someday. But that was yeah, uh, yeah. that was a great week. Although we, we weren't on the same crew, we we're on the same field, but we definitely spent a lot spent a lot of time together that weekend. That was a, that was a long five days in the best way possible, but that was a long yeah. five days. It was. Now I don't have any documentation to prove it, but I do believe Baseball Canada has an unofficial policy that states that the minimum crew height requirement must be about 17 feet, and to put you two on the same crew together doesn't give them much leeway. So I can see why that never materializes at any championships. Yeah, well, I think I think Stephen Clark has something to say about that. I think he's been he could jump on there. The three, yeah, good crew together. Don't really want to make any notion. Jeremy had no idea what we were talking about earlier, but really glad to see that we have another Stephen Clark 
reference here on the leading edge. Okay, let's talk about it. Speaking as a couple guys that have caught up through the Baseball Canada system as a generation together, what do you think is some of the best parts about seeing the same people over and over and over again? Or better yet, what are some of the favorite parts that you look towards seeing some of the same people? Uh, it's just, for me, it's just a chance to catch up. We don't get a chance to catch up otherwise. I mean, Jeremy, you've got, what, three kids now? Yep, three. A fourth so, on the way. <laughs> Rumor, so, fake news, fake news, though. To, to, to get the chance to see someone like Jeremy and say, hey, how's everyone doing? How's the wife? How's the kids? And then get a chance to, to reconnect, just not so much at an umpire level because we all kind of do that, but personally and away from the game and make sure that all their stuff's still good. And especially this year with, with everything that's been going on with COVID and everything else, it's, it's nice to even now have that connection again to just, again, make sure everything is really all right because the world is a – a very weird and different place now. Yeah, I agree. I think like just, you know, it's like I said in the first episode, so when you get, you know, you get your assignments and I think, I think we're all in the same boat. When you get your assignments, one of the first thing you do when they announce it on the website is you go to the website just to see who you're with. And it, that is just, it's, it's, it's a very exciting point. Cause you know, you want to see who you're with and you want to see what kind of guys are coming and the guys you've met before. So, and this, I think my favorite thing is, you know, when you go there, everyone's there for the same reason. Everyone there is there for ball. Uh, it's just very 12 like-minded individuals that are all together for, for a fun week. No question. That's one of the beautiful things. You get to do a lot of off-field activities. What are some of the fun off-field activities that you guys have had the chance to experience at some of your various locations? One of my most memorable one, I've seen one of my fellow umpires try to bag a waitress for beer glasses for about 45 minutes. That's <laughs> one, one experience I've had. Ended up paying for one of my believe, didn't he? Don't want to make it too awkward here, but who was begging for glasses? That would be Mr. Ryan Garland. When we were in London, the, uh, the establishment we chose, I think it was our second to last night there, and he apparently has a collection of beer glasses at home from establishments that he goes to, and this waitress did not, not want to give glasses up. And when I say bag, I mean he bagged for probably close to 45 minutes to an hour. So she finally caved. I think, what what'd she end up charging you, Garland? Uh, I don't think there was an official agreement on how much she was charging. I just kind of left uh, one of those red bills on the on the counter and said, don't worry about it. And I kind of took them all and walked away. I think there was eight of us there, and I ended up with eight different glasses. I woke up the next morning and looked at the, the desk in my little four-pod dorm at the, uh, at the colleges, the campus we stayed on. And looked at my desk and went, how the hell did I get all these home? And then I collectively also went, how am I getting all these back to Newfoundland without breaking them? Uh, so I had to go to the local corner store, I think it was, or even it was a supermarket, I'm not sure. And I bought a roll of paper towels or a two-pack or whatever the hell, the smallest pack I possibly could, and wrapped every single one of them in multiple paper towels to get them home. And I still have them all, by the way. But yes, yeah, so I have a I have a collection of beer glasses home that uh I've, from where I've traveled, where I've gone, different things I've done, and it's little keepsakes or reminders for me of what I've been to, and not so much for the town, but for the, the social element afterwards, which is always something that we look forward to as well. The paper towels you choose, um, please tell me, was down to you the quilted quicker picker-upper? No, so if you don't know me, I'm also incredibly frugal, and I try to spend <laughs> as little money on, on things as humanly possible. So I bought, like, if there's a Walmart brand paper towel, I bought the one underneath that. Like these were like three steps above concrete. 
And I was like, no, I'm just going to use these. And that's what I used. They got all home safe and sound. Well, I'm glad to hear that the glasses made it safe and sound back into the Atlantic bubble. I was really worried there for a while. Now, you and I run into each other in Summerside and we're out after the championship. And I got to bail late at night because, well, got to head back. The drive's going across the bridge. Now I leave you with a brown sheet to put into the local ATM. Did we ever win any money or what's our game of choice, Garland? Like I said, what's the benefit of getting an umpire per diem if you can't invest it back into the local economy? Lucky Larry Lobster every time, buddy. Every time. Every time. Never lose, but I think you still owe me a couple hundred dollars. Uh, I wouldn't say that. But... <laughs> <laughs> Nash, what's your success rate on Lucky Larry's? Lucky Larry's? I haven't, I haven't been too, uh, visiting them too much lately, but there was a time when I was pretty successful with them. There was also a time where I was doing a lot of donating to... Uh, Atlantic Lottery Pump, the Atlantic Lottery Corporation. Just I was, I was a pretty good contributor for that for a while. Yeah. Yeah, you're just doing your job to put the money back into the provincial sporting organizations, a.k.a. writing checks for Ryan Garland. <laughs> now, while we're talking about it, one of the best things about going to the championships, of course, are meeting people, but I really enjoy the part of connecting to people after the championships is gone. One of the things that we do to like to stay connected is, even though there's three or four time zones that separate us, is a group chat. We talk about our games and everything, and that's really made a big difference in my game. What about yours? I think I think just constant talking, constant feedback is just so crucial to becoming a better umpire. I mean, me and you have done this for years, where you know with the time change, sometimes it's a little bit tricky with two of us. But I've been getting, I've gotten calls from you at 11, 11:30 at night, and just walked off the field. And uh, we'll talk for, you know, an hour or so about what happened. And now this year we added Ryan into that that fray and then put him in our group chat. And when we're not torturing him and trying to get him upset, we sometimes find serious things to talk about to make each other better as far as on firing goes. I wouldn't say we really torture him. This summer we had a, an established Zoom date set up to talk rules and situations and somebody stood us up. Care to fill us in, Garland? Yeah, they yeah. have. You're, you're right. And we've never, ever got the reason as to why. Yeah. Uh, we saw our our third member of the group uh, making a cup of tea and then jetted, just gone. And we have never, ever to this day figured out what happened. I don't think we ever will. I think it's no, kind of an understanding that we have amongst each other. We don't talk about it. And that's fine. But one day it will come out. First of all, let's, let's get things straight. I did not stand you up. I accepted the call. I started the call. I just ghosted you guys. Something came up. Even worse. And I was gone. Ghost. Yep, sounds like a girl I was dating when I was 23. One date and never heard from her again. That wasn't quite true. I came back the next day. Yeah. <laughs> cooled off for a few hours and I got back into the fray. Ignored yeah. it. It was I did see all the texts you guys were sending too. I was just completely, that was 100% part of the ghost too. I was ignoring every single one of them. Yeah, right. We had a better chance of finding Bigfoot the next day than finding you. Just a little tip to anybody. If you ever see Jeremy Nash drinking a cup of peppermint tea, just expect him to Harry Houdini you and you'll disappear. Who's raspberry? Any crew chiefs out there that have Jeremy on their crew at a national championship, make sure he stays away from the raspberry tea. My younger days, that, would just, that wouldn't even be true. You'd be raspberry tea, would be kind of hiding something else that I was doing. But unfortunately, at this point in my life, it really was raspberry tea. Hey, with three kids and a fourth on the way, I can respect that. You're going to have people believe in that, though. Spread rumors. It's just fact. But this I don't is a family to... show. I don't, this is a family show. I don't think we would need to go into my medical history. <laughs> well, speaking about family and technology and all that fun stuff together, little joke we played this summer. I'm going to let Jeremy take this story away. Talk about our Facebook entourage. 
Well, the fun Saturday, you're going to have to go all the way back to 2010, Phil, when me and you were up at Miramichi at the original T12 tournament. He runs was put on, and we uh, had a bunch of level three and four umpires together. So I'm not sure anyone out there, neither Denis or uh, Rick are still umpiring in New Brunswick, but Denis for anyone that does know them, Denis Ouellette and Rick Peterson. Sorry, I thought I mentioned that. So Denis and Rick, they were in, from uh, the Fredericton area. They were from Miramichi that weekend, and they decided to play the uh, most extraordinary man in the world game. Yeah. So basically, anytime anyone said anything at all, Denis would be there and said, Rick did that, Rick did that, Rick did that. But that weekend, Rick was the Dosakis man. He was the most extraordinary man in the world. Anyone that's on, is it, was it Ump Life, Philip? What's the name of that Facebook group? I think it was Umpires on the Facebook group. Umpire Life, whatever the name of the group is. So it was kind of spring and COVID was hitting and I was kind of getting a little bit bored. And I was sitting at home and I came up with this idea. We decided that anything that was posted in that group, we would find some way to tag it to Ryan Garland. <laughs> now, the funny part behind this is that Ryan doesn't have Facebook. So our plan was to continue to do this for as many days and we, our plan was to see how long it would take for someone to get a hold of Ryan to say, have you seen what these two fools are talking about? Was what our plan was. And this plan lasted about oh, 28 hours. And the reason why it got shut down is that we got a very, very rude and abrupt stop now message from the administrators of that group saying, I don't know who this Ryan Garland person is that you teach you two keep talking about him, but if his name gets mentioned in the group again, you guys will both be banned from this Facebook group. Ryan, that's how you almost got me and Philip unknowingly banned from an umpire group on Facebook. Now, Ryan, before I give you the opportunity to chime in, I just want to put it out there. Jeremy says we made it 28 hours. It was 28 hours before the administrators, and they do a fantastic job of moderating the profiles and making sure that people stay on topic and not get too far offside. So, yes, they're just doing their job. But literally on the first post, we end up commenting on it, and it's somebody from Newfoundland had no idea. The first one we did started talking about shoes, and he's from Newfoundland. Like I just Who wasn't? Say, give me the name. Give me the name. I can't think of it right offhand, but we chime in on it and say it's Ryan Garland. This gentleman was asking about what the best base shoe is, which is a question that comes up on some of these Facebook groups every week. Okay, people, I'm going to put an end to it. The best base shoe is the one you enjoy. That's it. Who cares? <laughs> Your personal preference, whatever it, it is. It is. I, I think, as long I think as that, it's black. With I think that was when we, we, we started with saying that Ryan doesn't buy new shoes. He just uh, duct tapes them black. Yes, that was it. That was it. One of, the, yeah. one of the qualifications to every umpire is that you have to have black shoes. And I think we can all agree with it listening to this. But we stated that Ryan sometimes finds shoes on sale and finds it easier to go to dollar store and buy black duct tape so that's really where this started <laughs> no it was it wasn't the dollar store we said he was he was stealing it from his father's garage because he's yes. too cheap to buy his own yes. so ryan i'm gonna let you the opportunity to chime in on this and tell us how we can stay facebook friendly well, boy i'm gonna be honest with you i don't even know how facebook works i i have no facebook accounts i've never ever tried people send me facebook links all the time and i tell them i can't open this like, I, I don't have any connection to Facebook whatsoever. I will, however, say I don't necessarily appreciate the fact that my name was used in vain as something I had no control over. I find it hilarious to know that there was a Newfoundland umpire post, whatever it was, that initially got you to comment about shoes, and I really, really need to know who that was so I can go roast this guy. Yeah, Because we'll, I have, we'll I have a feeling that I like it's a very 
small group of people that it could be. And I feel like as soon as you say the name, I will go, oh my God, this is amazing. I got to say, when we talk how small of a world, my jaw dropped. And it takes a lot these days. When it's like, oh my gosh, this gentleman or person on the other end of it is from Newfoundland. They definitely know of it. And me and Nash texted each other right back going, cover's blown. It's never good. It's done. We're done. That's amazing. Yeah, fantastic. And that's some of the fun stuff that we like to play. We've talked about some of the national championship jokes that have gone on. So our challenge to everyone listening is to bombard the Twitterverse, Instagram, whatever, with your favorite umpire. Say some nice things about them. Find out how long until they find out that you're actually saying some nice things about them and see where it goes from there. Now, let's talk a little bit of baseball. Let's let's move into 10 questions. How's that sound, guys? Okay. Here we go. Nash is the experienced one. Ryan, you're the virgin here. Quickly, how way it works is if I like your answer, and if I disagree with it, I think we're going to get a vast array of answers here so it should be fun i should say nobody's wrong but i'm always right that's how it goes okay i'm I'd be willing to bet that me and ryan are going to disagree on probably at least 80 percent, but we'll, we'll see how yeah. it goes for the record i just want to put it out here ryan has signed on and he's drinking an adult beverage jeremy has signed on and he's drinking a boobly or a, like it's like the next step down from raspberry tea i'm not even going to sit here and brag i'm not drinking anything so i still think not drinking anything is still above the boobly oh it definitely is no there's no doubt about that what, what's the flavor I'm, I'm, I'm ruined with the flavor it was cherry cherry it was cherry bubbly yeah <laughs> oh no, he's all like oh it's cherry it's cherry <laughs> he's so happy too yeah yeah so, he's, he's twirling his finger next, right now i'm really excited okay. no, playing, playing transformers playing transformers the life of a dad with three kids and a fourth on the way gets to play with the transformers <laughs> i'll play in that though what is the most intense rivalry that you've ever had the opportunity to umpire? Ryan, you take this one first. Most intense rivalry. Without question, it's St. John's Winterbrook. We had Bucky on the last episode, and I think he'll back you up on that one, so I have to give you a bell. Why is that so intense? These two centers are our two most historically linked senior centers. It's the highest level of baseball in the province every year for the last 50 years or certainly the vast majority of those 50 years those two teams go at it at the junior level especially at the senior level and it's always great baseball again the two most uh, important ballparks in our province st pat's and st john's and jubilee field and cornerbrook uh they they host all seven games of a split series and it's it's some very intense baseball some of my most prominent provincial baseball memories are at those two ballparks on par in senior finals Okay, in your opinion, how many low outside pitches do you typically miss in a series like that? Six. Fantastic. Glad we can quantify it. It's always the rule of three. Six times That's three. Right. That's right. Jeremy. Oh, I'd have to say New Brunswick. It would be Fredericton against whoever they're playing. <laughs> Pretty much seems like here. Just... <laughs> nobody. Nobody likes Fredericton. Fredericton's been, well, pretty much the cream of the crop in the senior league, I think. I don't know. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I'd say in the recent 20 years the last 20 years they probably won 14 15 in the 20 and they're always seem to be in the finals and just doesn't matter if they're playing Moncton Chatham or St. John everyone seems to always have uh, have a little bit of a bitter rivalry towards Fredericton and uh, same thing in playoffs I've, I've had some very intense teams with Chatham and Fredericton some very intense teams with Moncton and Fredericton so I would say it's just Fredericton Fredericton versus the rest of New Brunswick would be my vote for here 
we've talked about the New Brunswick Senior Baseball League here multiple times, so I'm not really going to hammer on it, but I actually do agree with you. I was trying to think. I write the questions so I know the answers, but I was trying to think what the most intense rivalry I've ever been part of, and I have to agree. It's Fredericton versus anybody. There's a bigger rivalry with somebody else, but the rivalry definitely follows Fredericton everywhere, and just like you said, they've been the cream of the crop. XMLB player Matt Steris has played for them, and they're just... In the league of their own, they have multiple championships. They have the banners to defend it, so we can't really take it against them. Okay, next question. Jeremy, you're going to go first. What was one of your most special crews or most enjoyable crews that you ever had at a national championship? Well, that's a good one. Um, I don't ask stupid questions here. <laughs> I would say the um, probably the very first, my very first national, that's actually, it was with Steve Snow, and I'm actually blanking on who the third person of that crew was. But, uh, yeah, it was my first national. It was in Halifax, and Steve Snow was there. And uh, Steve really just, uh, he was a veteran at the time, and it was my first national. So he kind of showed me the ropes and brought me around to uh, brought me around Halifax and really treated me well that weekend. So I still have a soft spot for Steve this day, and I'm going to have to go probably with my first crew. For me, it would probably be at my second national. Uh, my my 13U for the second time. Umpire the previous year in 2014, and Andrew Downs was a supervisor yep. that year. And then in 2015, Andrew decided to come and actually umpire. And I got to work with him and uh, Al Smith. And that was that was a great learning experience for me, having been supervised by Andrew the year before. And then come back to umpire with him and kind of work with him in a different capacity. That was that was probably my most memorable for me, especially the fact that Andrew kind of I won't say looked out for me, but made sure that I didn't have the same experience two years in a row. Okay, that was a lot of fun. You're both right. I can't take those memories away from you. And Phil Lamaru talked about that in a previous episode about having a supervisor one year and having the opportunity a couple years later to go out in the field. Chris Willam was his. And it's like you said, Ryan, it's just a different experience. Okay, mine going to be up quick front. The push the red button crew at the Canada Cup in 2019 was definitely one of my groups. Sean Weatherill and Brad Johnson, they came on. I think they were the third or fourth guest on this show. So a lot of fun, but I really enjoyed my crew back there a few years back at the 15U Championship. I had a guy by the name of Ryan Girl in there. I also had a guy by the name of Ricky Viner. I don't know if anybody knows Ricky. Oh, everyone knows Ricky. Ricky Viner. Love that, dude. God bless that, man. I I calls everybody cuz, and he he treats everybody like family. That's what I love about the umpire program, and a guy like Ricky, he loves every other umpire. So just wanted to name drop Ricky Viner for no specific reason except to say, hi, Ricky Viner. Ricky yeah, Varner has his late-night run for snacks, too. Yes. <laughs> Diet Pepsis. Diet Pepsis uh, and pizza. Loves it. And I have, to, uh, I have to echo what Ryan said, too, about uh, Andrew. I had Andrew as a supervisor a couple times, and that's one thing that he always uh, seems to do. You know, he can be a little bit hard on you sometimes, but I think he's being a little bit hard for the right reasons. Like, And he's always there to find he's a great guy to look out to make sure that the guys are, guys are doing well. He is a guy that's had international experience giving back to the Baseball Canada program the best way he can. We talked about umpiring here in Canada. Where is one city that you would like to umpire here in the country? Ryan, take it away. One city. Uh, I've been in every province, Ontario West umpire, or Ontario East umpire. Anywhere out west would be great yeah. if I had to pick one city. I don't even Edmonton, have to be a city. Calgary. Like, is there a specific? Is there a specific? province or area that you would like to go to 
I'd love to get to BC because it's on the other side of the country. Uh, but really, anywhere in the the prairies would be lovely. I've been to Regina for a baseball Canada convention. Never got on a field there, but sorry to hear about that. Uh, I would I would go anywhere west in a minute if I could. Fair enough, Jeremy. Uh, I'd have to say BC as well. When we were in uh, London together, we were there with uh, Phil Bourgeois and uh, Sean Sullivan, and just the way they talk about the uh, the length of the season that they have and just uh, some of the leagues they have. So that just seemed like it was uh, seemed like it's definitely a place that I'd like to hit at some point in time. Is open BC. I was going to say BC like you guys just at first, but I'm going to be straightforward, honest, and I'm going to give some Newfoundland some love. I think Newfoundland is just an experience in itself, and as we talked earlier, they're going to get to toast the 21U Female Invitational. Baseball Canada's release said that they had not hosted a national-level event since 2014. So my goal is to umpire in Newfoundland, and might as well put it out there because I've asked other people in the past, but I'll put it out there for the first time. My goal is to umpire at the 2025 Canada game. So it's a Newfoundland, right, Garland? Yes, sir. You have an opportunity to rewrite the rules of baseball. What is a rule that you would like to add to the game? Jeremy. A rule that I would like to add to the game. That you think would make it better. Like I know the game of baseball, people are traditionalists and let's not kid ourselves. It's a great game. But if you could add a rule, what would it be? You're asking the tough ones today. Some people some people right on the spot. I'm gonna say I would have to take away are you talking about are you talking about major league baseball or are you talking about crashers? I just think in baseball in general, I'm thinking like OBR rules. Like, okay, if you want to take okay. away a rule, go ahead. Like what do you got? Well I, I well, I mean we've we've discussed what I would change about the uh about the uh replay system in the MLB, but I'll stay away from that. I guess the uh the one thing I would change is just the uh the momentary slide off the base end. The one where the guy he just kind of slips off just a little bit, just a hair, and that's kind of one that I would uh, I'd like to see gone because that's just the one you see guys holding the holding the glove on them forever and close up the game. So that would be one I think that I, I would get rid of. How would you fix that rule? Because technically they come off the base. I agree with you, but how would you fix it? I think it would just be kind of the same same idea as, as when you're doing with first base. You know, if he goes over the bag and he gets up and he goes right back and he makes no attempt to go to the next bag, he's good to go. So you think because he's acquired the base, it's automatically yeah, his? Yeah, automatically his, yeah. Now, if he gets up and he makes any motion at all, then, then he's free game. But if he or she just kind of slips off and, you know, right pinky is off by half a centimeter, it's going to give him leeway to get back on. I'm going to agree with you. One of the things I think that would fix that is you lay a tag on them, but if you take the glove off and you re-tag them when they're off the base, then I would say there would be there would be some fun with it. But that's, yeah. where, that's where I'd go with that. What do you think, Garland? Uh, I'm going to go a lot easier than, than him. Uh, I want universal DH. There it is. I was waiting for that. Come on. Let's be honest. That's not a topic that we need to talk about. The universal DH, but... That's what makes baseball so beautiful. There's two different sets of rules for the two different leagues, and that's what makes the World Series so much fun. And look what they're doing to pitchers now. All these starting pitchers pitching, what, five innings, a time and a half through the batting order? If they're not going to pitch every day, then make them bat, okay? Make them work. Make them earn their money. (laughs) Advocating on their behalf, are you? Yes. Collective agreement. Bargaining. Four people. If that, if that if that's the case, if they're only going to go an inning or two every couple days, they're not going to get a chance to bat anyway. They're going to get the yank before they even get the bat. Yeah, well, so the pitchers can all hit. Come on, they all they were all the coach's sons growing up on their team. Okay, so they all had the opportunity to hit in the four spot. They should know how to hit. Or play shortstop. Yeah, 
rule I'm changing, I'm getting rid of any type of size of gloves. I don't really care what the size of your glove is. If you want to wear a 17-inch glove and you want to flop around out there, wear it. Don't. That's one rule. Yes, we have to know it in the book, but how to measure a glove. I know we never get that, but just take away a section of the rule book. I just think it's pointless. Okay, I'm going to start with you, Ryan, since you had such a fantastic first championship. Tell us about a mistake you made and how you learned from it. A mistake I made at the... Anywhere, okay. just in general. It doesn't have to. I'm yeah, not, no, you know. no I, I, easy one is at my again, my first one. It was uh, the 13U. We were in somewhere in Nova Scotia, I want to say. Farewell to Nova no, Scotia. No, Charlottetown, PEI. Charlottetown, PEI. And Land of Confederation. I'm on par in third base. And on my crew is Marcel Bruce from Alver Alberta. Yes. And mentioned before, Ricky Viner. So Ricky it's three of us. I'm on pine at third base, and we get a ground ball hit to the shortstop. And whatever happened, I still don't know exactly what, what happened, but I nailed the rule. I got it so perfectly right. We had the offensive player not giving a chance to let the defense make a play. And I went and screamed out the wrong word. I applied, I applied the rule perfectly correctly. I moved the runners where they had to go and everything else, and I thought I was king shit. We got off the field, and we're going through our, our debrief, and Andrew, I believe it was, said, great job getting everything right, and he goes, just one little small thing. I said, what's that? And he goes, you messed it up. And I said, what do you mean? And then he explained it to me, and I went, oh, dear God. And I've never forgotten it. I thought I was so right. And I was like, that's my, we all know when you go to these nationals, you need to have a chance to shine. And if you don't have it, if you have a shining moment, you get your shining moment, right. You automatically catapult. Yeah. And I got my shining moment very wrong. And I was, I wanted to crawl in a hole and just, and just die. It's like shoots and ladders, right? Sometimes you're going up the ladder and sometimes you're going down the chute. Yep. I think as a novice umpire, a lot of people struggle with the obstruction or interference concept. What's one way, or maybe I'll throw it out there. One of the ways that I've learned, because I've made the same mistake in the past, is I practiced in the mirror. Call me a geek, call me whatever, but I found that that helped me, like working on some of that stuff. So how did you learn from it? So for me, I'm a big acronym guy. I try to remember things with acronyms and shorten sentences, abbreviations, whatever the case. So what I've always remember now is what I've taught myself to be two different acronyms, OD, O-D-I, mm -hmm. and DO, D-O-O. And basically it's, in my own mind, I think about it as if the offense impedes the defense, it's interference. And if the defense impedes the offense, it's obstruction. It's mm. a good way to look at it. Jeremy? This, this one also goes to my first championship. It was actually, I think it was my first place. And there was a there's a banger first, and then there was a question whether or not the uh, first baseman came off the bag or not. So we all get together, and I had a pretty good view, and I thought that he did come off the bag and he was safe. But I can't remember who it was with at the time, but I was with a veteran umpire, and he was dead set that he was right that he didn't come off the bag. And even though from the angle I had, I knew that he was wrong. And just being the rookie at the tournament, and him being a veteran, I didn't uh, stand up enough, and you know, well, I kind of let him. I kind of let him stick with his call, and one of the and after the game, the supervisor basically said we were wrong and that it should have been reversed. So I just kind of learned from that that uh, 
you know, even though if you're the youngest one on the crew or you're the most experienced, you're there as a crew and you're there to work together. And you shouldn't uh, shouldn't let things like that get in the way of making the right call. Whether it doesn't matter who makes the call, just uh, the most important thing, the reason why we're out there is to make the right calls. And we didn't do that in that case, and it hurt us. So that's uh, that was something that always sticks with me from, from that time. Did you discuss how you were going to handle a situation like that in your pre- championship pre-tournament meeting i don't believe we did this is that the first tournament i can't even remember who the crew chief was but i know for a hundred percent fact that i was nowhere near as prepared going into that tournament as i am even just for a normal game on a tuesday night now i find just in the last just in the eight years i've been in the program eight nine years that the uh the way that the uh the pre-tournament is set up and the way that everyone prepares for a game has improved vastly over the years yeah. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not scared to admit it now. At the time, I thought I was ready. At the time, I thought I was prepared. But I don't think I was as prepared for that tournament as I should have been. And I think now, the way things are set up, I would have been much more prepared than I was then. So that was kind of uh, – we were probably in there a little bit unprepared as a crew, and, and we, it came back to bite us. Now, this is not a knock about how the Baseball Canada program used to be, but I do appreciate how I love, as an umpire – when my supervisors send me some of the information ahead of time. I enjoy knowing who's on my crew. I like the opportunity to reach out to my fellow crew members just to have a discussion before we get to the championship. So just that's that's my feedback, and that's why I appreciate what the Baseball Canada program does for us getting ready. Now, my mistake will make it simple. I remember one of the first times I read the rule book, it's like I think I'm super smart. I'm going to go to the game, and I'm going to apply this rule correctly. Simple. Ball hit to the shortstop, overthrow out of play two bases this was learning about time of throw and time of pitch one of those situations i put the i put the runner on third base going no two bases they already had first when in reality they didn't have first let's be honest so i learned very quickly in a senior baseball game how i might have overthought a rule so one of the things i've learned in that situation is to go back and really make sure that you know what you're talking about before you actually think you know what you're talking about let's get out of umpiring though guys Jeremy, going to leave with you. Your favorite Major League Baseball player of all time. Favorite Major League Baseball player of all time. Yeah, that's what I asked. <laughs> I'm going to go back to probably, I mean, as a Red Sox fan and going through all of those World Series, it's pretty hard not to, uh, pretty hard not to go with David Ortiz. I'm not going to start no rumors on this show, but I do believe he was on steroids, I think, wasn't it? But I don't remember there being any proof. They'll deny to this day. Red Sox, only team to win three World Series over what? How many the past years? Is it three or four? They won four since 2004. Three think, over the last nine right. years, I think it is. This is where I get it I wrong. A they have won three of them cheating. Two on steroids, <laughs> and then they're beating garbage cans. They didn't get pounded hard enough, but that's not go there. Ryan, who's your favorite all time? I can only pick one guy. Wow. Um, I'm going to go the opposite way of, of Jeremy, and even though I'm a huge Blue Jays fan, uh, I just like baseball in general. My favorite player is, without question, Derek Jeter. You guys are just too commercial. There's more to the game than the East Coast, okay? Only... Who are you going to pick? Like Candy Maldonado or someone? Like, who are you picking? Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, come on. You know why? Because he didn't I mean, do steroids. Here's a question for you. How many, how, saying... many, how many Ken Griffey Jr. games did you actually watch in your time? Be honest. How many times did you watch him play baseball? Maybe 10. 
<laughs> Small sample size, but doesn't necessarily mean that he wasn't a great player. His days with the Reds. Ken Griffey has one of the he has one of the greatest fingers from left hand side of all time. Maybe the best. Come on, looking back but, on it, it he's a he is he didn't do steroids. How how iconic was it? Well, I mean, me and you me and you would remember Phil. I think Ryan was probably still in diapers, but that uh, that world the the uh, all star game, the home run derby, when he had the backwards hat. That's still probably one of the more iconic Ken Griffey Jr. moments. It is. I'm not a big backwards hat fan, but he really branded himself then. Got a shoe deal He's out of a it. That and then who who could forget the uh, the future space space astronauts that the Mariners wore? Oh, those what was are that? Bad. Yes. I don't even have a buzzer to give that one because that was just a bad bad situation. But come on, Griffey shares quite the record in Major League Baseball. Him and his father going back to back. How can you beat that? Absolutely. That is cool, yeah. Yeah, where's David Ortiz and his kid? Thank you. Mm. Wow. Now we're going to talk about greats all time. Michael or LeBron? Michael. Michael. That's not even a question. How many games did you guys actually watch of Michael? (laughs) Go watch The Last Dance. Uh, This is my public service announcement right now. Go watch The Last Dance if you haven't watched it yet. That'll teach you everything you need to know. My kid's four right now, and we are watching Space Jam every second night. So Michael was the best <laughs> man. Like we, we, This is the beautiful thing about being a father. Jeremy, congratulations on the fourth and the way. You're going to get to experience it. Enjoy it. But before my young lad goes to bed every night, we have to reenact and watch it, the opening scene of Space Jam, and where Michael's dad comes out and says, son, you got to go to bed. Essentially, you got to go to bed, man. Like, it's too much, too loud here. And at the end of it, he says, he looks up at dad and he says, I'm going to play in the NBA. And then I want to play baseball just like you, dad. And it's just the beautiful thing about baseball. I just had to throw it out there. But when Michael beats the Looney Tunes or helps the Looney Tunes save the world, we wouldn't be here today. It's true. Ryan, going with you, what's the favorite concert you have ever been to? Favorite favorite concert? Wow. Um, I'm not a huge concert person normally. I was supposed to go to Matchbox 20 this past September in Las Vegas, but that didn't happen. That, that would have been my favorite concert, hands down. Uh, but what I've been to and what I've gone to, Blue Rodeo is always a great concert. I love Blue Rodeo. I've been there a bunch of times. Canadian. Uh, Got to see Great Big C's last performance in New in St. John's before they split up a few years ago. That was a lot of fun on George Street for George Street Fest. Uh, that would probably be my my two picks for sure. What's your favorite Great Big C song while we're on it? My favorite Great Big C song. Uh, it might be England, only because it's Sean McCann gets to, to sing it and. Not that Alan Doyle can't sing. He's, Alan's a great singer, but Sean sings that song, and uh, it's a really, really good melody and very just very calm, peaceful song, we'll say. And it's it's a great it's a great reminder of of what some of the music is like here in the province. Oh, no question. That is one of the best great big C songs out there. And like you said, it's written by Sean McCann. I had the opportunity to see Sean sing that live by himself recently when he was touring way back before this whole pandemic hit. It's just a fantastic melody. Now, Jeremy, what's your favorite concert of all time? For me, I'm kind of the same boat as Ryan. I'm not 
guy that's going to jump around look for concerts. I've kind of always had just a soft spot for uh, just a small venue bear concerts. I mean, you Phil saw April Wine one time, which still one of the top ones I've seen, and uh, the Trues and small like that. But uh, I gotta say, there's there's one concert that absolutely stands heads and tails above the rest of them is in 2005, the tragically hit at the Metro Center. Still plastic opening. I mean, it, it was the one and only time I saw the hip live, and I mean, they're just an absolute iconic band. So that'll definitely that'll be a tough one, to, tough one for me to top. Don't want to burst your bubble, but it was 2004. You're right. It was 2004. I was thinking because it was the year that it was the year we graduated, but it would have been this December school year we graduated. So yeah, you're right. 2004, December of 2004. We can we can do a whole podcast just on that weekend alone. Yeah, it's a fantastic weekend, but that's not what this <laughs> show focuses on. But maybe if I branch yeah. off, there was there wasn't a whole lot of raspberry teas or a bubble being had that weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now I'm just going to throw it out there, and I'm probably going to get chirped out of the water, but I've had the opportunity to see Bruce Coburn, a Canadian music icon legend himself, twice, two fantastic shows. i got to say I just support Canadian music. I love it. Outside of Canadian music, I had the opportunity last year to see my favorite musician of all time, and I'm going to say it, Elton John. I have nothing but positive memories listening to Elton John and his music and Bernie Taupin. i, I got to say that watching Elton on the Farewell Tour, it's just amazing, like, Goodbye Yellowbrook Road Tour. It's been nothing but fantastic. It's too bad that the pandemic has really canceled it because I was really hoping to see him again. But more importantly on that tour, he's been touring with his band for a long time. Drummer Nigel Olsen and his guitarist Davey Johnson and one individual that doesn't get enough attention in my opinion, but one of the most fantastic percussionists of all time, Ray Cooper. That night was magical and I really hope this pandemic ends so that he can get out there and perform again because I don't think he has too many keystrokes left in his fingers. Now, let's go back to your high school days. Actually, Ryan, you might have been in, like, elementary. <laughs> what is a song that reminds you of high school, though? I can't think of a song, per se, but I can think of some artists and bands. I know Green Day was really big when I was in, in junior high, high school. Billy Talent was another one. Okay, since you can't figure one out, what was the song you had your first slow dance to? <laughs> oh, that was easy. I don't want to miss a thing by Aerosmith. <laughs> in the I time mean, of Ar- Armageddon for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Armageddon special baby the end of the world's coming yeah, and I need to find right. a slow dance definitely I don't want to miss a thing <laughs> Nash well the, uh, the 93 Toyota Corolla had the Forrest Gump soundtrack tape in that for a long time so any any song that comes off the Forrest Gump soundtrack definitely brings me back to those days that's in uh American Pie by Don McLean is another one. Yeah. And uh, Sweet Mary by... Equalizer by Bellin. Equal, yes. I always I always thought it was Equalizer, but if you look it up on Spotify or Apple Music, it's not Equalizer. It is... What was his name again? Uh, Chris Bellin. Yeah. That's fantastic. I'm really glad you picked Sweet Mary because that's probably one of the songs that reminds me of high school. And you mentioned the Forrest Gump soundtrack. Like, what a soundtrack you got. Running on Empty by Jackson Brown, Sweet Home Alabama, Leonard Skinner, Against the Wind, Bob Seger, Mrs. Robinson by Simon and Garfunkel. It just goes on and on. What a great soundtrack and even fantastic movie. Okay, since we're talking about slow dances and everything, let's talk about something else. You get the opportunity to take your significant other on the first date all over again. Where are you going? Mm, wow, that's a good question. Uh, we've got Girl, a lot of really good restaurants ahead. here in the province, in the city. I mean, we've got some of the better chain restaurants, the keg and stuff like that. But 
We've got some good local spots. Raymond's, it's very expensive. Um, I, I don't recommend going there if you don't have at least a black MasterCard. Uh, but we, you know, Bernard Stanley's is another good spot. I've been to the St. John's Fish Exchange. That's a really nice spot. And even outside of St. John's, we've got some some nice restaurants as well. But There's places think, outside of St. John's in Newfoundland? What's that? Like there's communities outside of St. John's in Newfoundland? I mean, there's not a lot of them, but like there are some, yes. And the ones that are there, like I mean, they, they help us survive. Yeah. But really, really Newfoundland is St. John's. We just have to call it Newfoundland because it's, you know, what we've always called it. What about Labrador? But, uh, my mind, my mind is blown that he has yet to mention the keg. Oh, he did. He threw it in there, but oh, yeah, the keg got a shameless plug. Keg's delicious. You know my love for the keg. Come on, Ash. True story here, people. Ryan took his current girlfriend on their first date to the keg and said, "Hey, you wouldn't mind ordering up the child's menu to get a wow. reduced price." Good job. Yes, I just did that. Wow. <clears throat> I'm gonna have to stick with it. Uh... Kind of my old favorite. It's been my favorite when I lived in Miramichi, coming to Moncton. It's still my favorite restaurant here now. It's the uh, the Pump House. We've gone there a few times. Gallon, have you ever? You must have hit that a few times you've been in Moncton. We're here to come here. There's nothing around the Pump House. Yeah, so that's, that was always, even even before I lived here, that was my favorite restaurant here. And it's still, still to this day, if I have a number one choice to go, whether it's significant other or with some friends, that's, that's where I'm choosing. Love it. My chance, I'm going to Subway. You don't like the Subway, we're just going to keep moving on, okay? Eating off the dollar, man. You had a boy. Start low and go slow. I like it. Okay, Ryan, we're going to move into a section of the show we call Local Legends. Essentially, what you're going to do is name somebody who has helped you, propel you, to be the person that you are today in the umpire community. Who's your local legend? Everyone in Newfoundland is a legend in some capacity. We learned that in Facebook. Yeah, there you go. My local legend for me would be unquestionably be well, i've got two i guess it's not fair uh carl lake who would be a local legend carl has been umpire now for 53 years this year uh, unfortunately this year will be his final year he's got some health uh, health issues and this year he's got to unfortunately retire but uh carl's definitely a local legend for me personally a local legend would also be uh your previous guest dave buckingham Barney. buck has been as far as my umpire development my my progression my my love for umpiring Dave has been the person who who has pushed me to be as good as I can be, has pushed me to realize that I can be better than I think I can be. And uh, without question, one local legend for me, if it's not Mark Jones or one of the more active umpires, and Dave umpired himself this year, but just as a mentor, as someone to talk to, as someone to lean on, without question, my local legend is Buck. Interesting that you mentioned all three names. It's nice to know that you have named everybody in the Newfoundland umpire community. So I've got them all. And the one thing I want to say out, send out to Bucky is, Bucky, you must be a really good teacher because you didn't have much to work with, and the guy's been to seven national championships. So <laughs> thank you, Bucky. Well, boys, that essentially wraps up this episode of The Leading Edge. Ryan, I'd like to thank you for making your first appearance here on the show and jeremy thanks for joining us again after your little cat nap no problem this is uh hello snooze caught up in the you know we don't all live over on uh Saskatchewan. a little bit later for me and ryan here but uh took a little nap got myself rested and ready to go yeah just for everyone listening we went to call jeremy to come on the show when he was sleeping he's been tired lately because he stayed up a couple weeks ago to watch the dodgers win the world series big deal again the series is still under protest yeah. i think once again i guess I'd like to thank you too and Travis uh, Travis Rooms for your donation. 
to the uh, to my bank account. Okay, explain yeah, don't all this. Place. Do I, yeah, do I get a tax receipt for this? <laughs> you might. You're gonna get the only receipt you'll get is when I uh, I'm gonna find three different ways to individually spend twenty five dollars, and I'll be sure to send you guys a thank you picture when I spend when I spend your money. Can you put that twenty five dollars to your fourth child's RRSP or RESP? <laughs> Can I get the tax Send it. Say Uncle Philip sent it. If you want to go to the box of Jones for Man or Rogan or something with my 25, you go ahead. I'm okay with that. <laughs> just, need, just need the clippers. Okay, guys. One of the last things we'd like to do here on the leading edge is give our guests the opportunity to shout out to everyone listening kind of the words of wisdom and what they would recommend people do to get to the next level in the game. One piece of advice. Uh, man, I've got so many. Um, <laughs> I, guess, I guess the one piece of advice I, I can give to anybody will, is to just commit yourself to to it if you're going to do it. Don't, don't get in and don't half-ass it. Don't take it not serious sometimes and serious other times. If you want to be a really good umpire, you want to be really good at whatever you're doing, you have to take it serious all the time. You have to get in. You have to put the work in. You have to put the time in. You have to learn to take some some stuff, take some crap sometimes, and and you have to kind of learn to like the taste of it a little bit and, and be willing to get criticized and understand that your criticism is actually constructive and people who are criticizing you is because they see something in you and they want you to get better. So commit yourself. Jeremy, how can you top that? I don't think I can. I didn't think he was that wise. So he definitely, there's not, definitely nothing that wise comes out of him when we're talking on a daily basis. He's so philosophical. <laughs> Jeremy, how do you want to leave us with these words of wisdom since you already provided us with some fantastic words of wisdom at one time? But what have well, you learned since that episode? Really, tell me. My word of wisdom would just be to, uh, to find people in the game that you can relate with. I guess the, the two of you would be a perfect example. I mean... It's so easy to get, everyone gets busy. We all, I mean, we live in three different provinces, different time zones. We all have different stuff going on. But I think in the last, probably in the last six, seven months, there might've been only a handful of days that we haven't been in touch with each other at some point in time. So it's kind of, uh, kind of been a nice, you know, with the pressures of everything going on and all the busy times, usually when our group chat gets going, it's kind of a nice distraction from the real world. And, you know, it kind of brings you, brings you back to, just brings a happy moment of the day most times to kind of get a little bit of a relief. So I guess if you're going to get an umpire and you got to find, you got to find your people to, to help you push through because you can't do it alone. You need your help and you need, you need people to be with you. Well, that concludes this episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Join us on our next episode where we bring on a guest that's already canceled on us once has worked minor professional baseball, has two Baseball Canada National Championships under their belt, and is the pride of Nova Scotia, Alex Laurie. But before you go, we would like to leave you with this. There's a common rule myth that people believe the ball is dead anytime an umpire is hit by the ball. But let's be honest, the only thing that wants to curl up and die in that moment is the umpire themselves. Take care, everybody, and stay safe.